Welcome to episode 364 of the Overlook Hour. I'm your host, Clark Little. Along with me, as always, is the man sitting across the table from me. The table is a rectangle. The man is probably a rectangle. <laughs> it's Russell John the Fisherman. Yeah. All right. I'm cocked and loaded. I got my, uh, what did I call it? A green lemon meringue. A green? A green. A green lemon meringue. Mm-hmm. I'm enjoying my She-Hulk drink, uh, key lime pie from LaCroix. Oh, someone's pronouncing the business correctly now. Mm. I got to get serious when I'm mentioning She-Hulk, the oh. best show to hit television. Boy. And uh, joining us on all things Marvel <laughs> is our resident expert, Randy Michaelstad. That's me. And if I'm a little uh, somber sounding today, it's because they uh, aren't going to release Batwoman anymore. Oh, dude, I cried all night. Yeah, Randy, how how is this? I mean, this affects your daily life, obviously. Uh, it does. You know, as you know, if you uh, listen to the movies I talk about on this show, I'm a big uh, CGI guy, big Marvel guy. So pretty tough don't worry we still got she hulk and we still got the bear from prey <laughs> they're gonna fight that bear is actually a female God. despite having the gay uh what what classification what would you call that like a bear we know a bunch of them out here they rove around in packs and yes <laughs> and attack. <laughs> yes there are gay bears yeah well it actually was a female cgi bear and she hulk will be fighting them on wwe in a diva smackdown Oh, it's going to be good. (laughs) They should bring back Celebrity Deathmatch, but like for real. I think if you uh, put that in YouTube, you will find videos. So people, yeah. What I wouldn't pay to watch (laughs) Hulk Hogan's stunt double, the star of Cruel Jaws, fight a CG bear. (laughs) He would pull it off. In SmackDown. Fantastic actor. Hey, did you end up tweeting out that video last time? As he said to Oksana Valerian about Osachi. <laughs> I don't remember. Oh my god. <laughs> I feel like I'm I feel like I've I didn't. <laughs> but I can. Cool, let's do that. Oksana, how are you today? I know you've had a, a quite a tumultuous morning, but I think we had a good uh event happen after that. So <laughs> w- walk us through your day thus far, Oksana. You've been quite the busy gal. When I, I woke up uh earlier than uh I would have otherwise to run around frantically looking for specific flavors of LaCroix at like... I'm sorry? LaCroix. Thank you. <laughs> Why would you pronounce the R but not the X? Oh my, just, just move ag- forward. Acknowledge Jesus. In French, it means the cross. Okay, so <laughs> just call it that. To look for three, two specific flavors because I had one of them already because we were just this morning guest stars on a new episode of Seltzer Cast where we help determine the fates of three flavors of seltzer water to see if they move on in the, what is he calling it? Brackets? <laughs> the LaCroix bracket. <laughs> Thank <Yeah>. you, Randy. <laughs> yeah. we can't. Uh, so that won't be out to what? September? September, I think, 17th. All right. So yeah. stay tuned. And that that is what I opened. It wasn't actually a She-Hulk drink. Although I did make a very funny joke during the recording about the minions uh, opening up a kombucha called Kaka Kombucha. And I was thinking Kaka poop. Don't spoil the joke. Dude. Well, no, I'm going to build on this one. 
They got to wait so, like six months. Man. Here, you know, in the beginning of the show, if you're new here, we do talk about film at some point. In fact, we're even going to have David Lynch out here. Maybe you heard of him. He's a very prolific director. He's done Dune. Anyway, uh, I went over to my the parents. The first time. <laughs> <laughs> the better time, everybody. Um, I went to my parents last night and I had gotten a cryptic text that said, don't come over, maybe next week. And my dad is a little prone to throwing hissy fits. Prone? Uh, usually after you know a couple shots, he gets a little uh, weepy. And I was like, okay, that's enough for me. We're not going. Anyway, my sister followed up. We ended up going. Turns out he did throw a fit because he got a new pair of glasses. Now, the critique that he kept mentioning all night, if you could guess, <laughs> my mom said, you look like a minion. <laughs> <laughs> He was freaking the fuck out. He couldn't do it. And I, again, now I suggested to one of our friends a long time ago, we had a guest engineer on the show, Eddie the Gamer Ghoul, who's part of the Barely Functional Gamers. And he's a bald gentleman. Uh, with He wears glasses also. And I was like, you know, it'd be hilarious is if you painted yourself yellow and just went as a minion for Halloween. <laughs> Everybody thinks this is a fantastic idea. I love it. He hates it. So if you want to make somebody mad today, just call him a minion. People fucking don't like it. And that's it for my minion talk. You know, I, well, here's the thing. I think that the minions are the new munchkins. Wait, what are the munchkins? What are? Oh, from Wizard of Oz. Yeah. I feel like you skipped the trolleys there, man. No, but no one cares like that, dude. Uh, yeah, trolleys. No, they were not as big as minions, and they were not as big uh, as excuse munchkins. Excuse me. Okay. They represented all of the working class as they were. They were like the Funko Pop. And you represent the segment of the show that gets no pussy. <laughs> and you got to call me out every week. Thanks, yeah, dude. dude. I don't know how I've done this for 10 years. <laughs> God, <with that. laughs> Actually, we are knocking on our um, Heaven's official, door. official, unofficial Heaven's Gate. <laughs> we will Heaven's Gate. Dude, at some knock, point. knock, knocking on Heaven's Gate. God, who is our who is our Koresh? Randy? I think it's gotta be me, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Why is it Randy? He's the least charismatic of the three of us. Excuse me. See, that's that's where uh you know that's where it comes in. It's always the ones you don't expect, you know. Not as the cult leader. That's true. Yeah. <laughs> don't try to live your fucking. Just trying to improv, baby. <laughs> yeah, but don't improv. That's the fucking Batman shooter. <laughs> what the hell? He's right. I never expected him, though. Even though I did call him out by name. Um. Yeah. So we're. So we'll we'll post whenever we uh, that seltzer cast goes up, right? Mm -hmm. Okay, and then also me and Oksana appeared on uh, Terrell's podcast called CNT Reaction on Wednesday. We went over there. Now their format's so different; it's unfiltered. It's unfiltered. Yeah, and uh, they get loaded up before that thing. They had two bottles there, and they poured a shot. And I went, oh, cool. Uh, it's fun. You guys are doing shots during this. Normally, Clark will just, you know, hit a fat blunt before coming on here. <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, okay, but, you know, I don't have a bunch of notes or a soundboard or a mixer or, you know, three computers and a monitor. I could just cut loose. Oh, my God. We took that shot and they passed out glasses and filled them up halfway with whiskey. 
I was like, okay, I shouldn't have brought beers over here. I brought, I brought some ghost town over there. And, uh, Randy, who knows those motherfuckers are a creeper. So yeah, for sure, dude, um, in very overlooked fashion, I pushed them to their limit as we (laughs) recorded the longest episode ever of (laughs) CNT unfiltered. It's two hours and 15 minutes. (laughs) And I came in prepared to be, uh, turn off Clark's headphones. He's going to make fun of me. I came in prepared to say nothing. I was like, I'm going to do it. I'm going to be good. I'm going to smile in the corner. Yeah, because we were talking predominantly about Prey and the whole Predator franchise, which I I think I'm a bigger fan of than you, even though I feel like I need to rewatch all of them at this point. (laughs) And he's like, yeah, I'm going to be quiet. I'm going to let Oksana have her time. Because Terrell constantly, every time he listens to the show, he's like, y'all are mean to Oksana. You should let her talk more. And it's like, (laughs) she doesn't want to, but this will be her night. Uh, tune in to see what happened there. <laughs> <laughs> you do this every week before this show. I know, dude, it's true. It, for I can't six help years. It. But as I said, this is our official, unofficial anniversary of six years this year. Why? Why today? Because it was, I knew it was, it was like the, it was after my birthday. So it was like the 22nd or something. Okay. Did, the first episode. Your birthday's coming up in a week though, right? For this uh, weekend? Next next week. Next week? Next Saturday. Really? This coming Saturday. What's the date today? The 14th. 14th. Oh, my time. Oh, I just gained like five days. <laughs> I love that, dude. It's a gift from God. Remember that time you gained a month? Oh, dude. that. <laughs> you know, you make fun of me for that. I, you know, I'm just getting acquainted with the calendar. I grew up with the Mayan calendar only. <laughs> my mama loves to worship mass murderers. And... I, uh, I'm learning the 12 months now. And when we were getting ready for a straight, a tight deadline, Clark informed me that I had overlooked a whole month. There was no feeling better in my life than that moment. So jokes on you, bro. Um, that is a great moment. That's a, that's a hundred in your pocket. Dude, it's great. It felt fantastic. It was like, Oh, that cancer result you got. We were wrong. Like, have you ever found like a $20 bill in an old jacket? A 20, not like a one or a five, but like a 20. I think, or, I, think I, I mean, found 40 before. And it's like, whoa, dude, it's great. That was a bad day in the past. I'm sure. <laughs> I was like, what happened to my 40? Anyway, um, also shout out to last week. Sure. If, if you didn't listen to our guest uh, interview with Brad Carter, that he's a humble uh, tactician of writing books about movies that already exist, but are a little complicated to watch. And he fucking not only makes them a clear story, he improves the movie. I, I, you know, actually, I think he hurt the movie for me, but I came into it and I felt like I had full grasp of what was going on, which if you're watching Night of the Demon, that's normally not the case. Anyway, uh, I want to thank Brad Carter, who will not let us give him money for some books he sent us. (laughs) And uh, thank you for signing them all. He's a fantastic dude. Support him. Also, shout out to Severin for... uh, Sharing our shit. Next step is getting Clark locked up in the cellar. It's Severin Cellar, baby. We'll do what we gotta do. Yeah, we'll, uh, we got creepy Clark in the dungeon. We need to get Clark Little in the cellar. You're coming with me. No, no, I'm not. Yeah. God, why do you do this? <laughs> I don't like that. I always have to play cat and mouse with you. You come in here with this weird barbaric coy energy. <laughs> and I don't know how to process it. Dude, barbarically coy. Okay? Is in my you program. can't be barbarically coy. I hate it. Mm-mm. 
No, come with, come get away with this. Come here, come here, come here. Go away, go away, go away. Bullshit. Nah, nah, I don't do good on camera. You can bring Randy. We'll fly him out for it. <laughs> What's Randy going to talk about with Severin? I know. He would look in there and be True. like, this is garbage. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, this is borderline porn. Let me out. Yeah, we get in there. We give him the kibbles and the bits. Come on. Nah, me and Randy will go to Criterion when they let us in. <laughs> no, it, Randy would be the only person to get banned from the Criterion closet from jerking off. In <laughs> as he as he talked to Sean this morning, he's like, oh, Sean, was that a mm, Umbrellas of Cherbourg poster in the foreground? No. In the background. <laughs> he said Umbrella Corporation. It was a Resident Evil. Oh, thing. damn. Actually, I like Randy's cooler. Because he's not down with Resident Evil. <laughs> Resident Evil's great. Resident Evil's fucking lame, dude. You, you guys probably- see uh, Raccoon City? <laughs> what did you call me? <laughs> Resident Evil Raccoon City. Wasn't that the most recent one? Dude, as a trash panda, I uh, definitely own the movie because somebody bought it for me. I haven't watched it, though. I heard so much mixed shit about it. I'm like, I okay, Terrell had beaten me down by saying that they made Leon a wimp. They're like, he's a weenie. And I've never heard him use the word weenie before, weenie. so uh, I am thoroughly scared. But I'd watch it if, like, if Clark would watch it with me. All right. <laughs> this segment brought to you by marijuana. And uh, <laughs> speaking of segments, we are not doing the TBR again. Now, I want to personally apologize. I know we half of our budget is spent on flying Thomas Burke all over the world, and he dug up something. That is so <laughs> prolific that it is two and a half hours long. And I could just not carve out that time this week. I've been watching it in segments and it's subtitled. Not great quality. This is, I mean, things you want from found footage. But man, I really got to, I want to do it justice. So next week, I promise I will bring you, what What country is it from? It's uh, Bengali. So, Oh man, Ooh. two and a half hours long too. And it's a faux doc. Now I'll tease it a little bit. Jai Ho. Uh, the filmmaker is looking for love and he's failing all over. And Brother, uh, I've he, been there. He finds a spiritual guy that's like, I could bring you to a place that no matter what, when you enter, you'll fall in love. And I'm like, I feel like this could be a romantic comedy. Wait, is this the love guru with Mike Myers? <laughs> <laughs> I was getting vibes of that, but imagine if it was like authentic. Like, you know, you have a handheld camera walking around. Russ, I don't know what you think of Mike Myers, but authentic always comes to mind (laughs) when I think of Mike Myers. Yeah. So next week, uh, we'll be back with the TBR. I think, honestly, we're having too much fun with the roundup of uh, the rehearsal. I don't know. I like the rehearsal roundups. Randy, your thoughts? I also like them. (laughs) It's a good segment. It's my favorite segment before the movies. Okay. Yeah. Well, oh, what? Well, because also, well, Randy, we need more Randy segments. Like uh, Randy uh, plays a song on a guitar for two seconds. <laughs> well, I That'd mean, be tight. Uh, I'm good. <laughs> no, I'll. You know what? I'm going to do my best. Well, let's bring in David because I know he's fidgety out there, and I think he's got a lot of stuff to work on this week. But uh, I'll use that time constructively. I'll figure out a Randy segment. So, Randy, uh, I hope you're wearing your improv hat right now. It would explain that weird thing on your head. <laughs> are, are we good? Anything else up top? 
no, let's proceed. Let's bring him in. All right. Do we got any guesses this week? Is he still building up train cars? Is he getting political? Will Cake make an appearance? Never. <laughs> cake should make an appearance. I know. Because as we all know, I love a short skirt and a long jacket. Oh, God. I fucking hate that band. Why, <laughs> dude? All right. No predictions. Fine. Then let's go ahead and uh, welcome in the creator of the prolific Easter movie, and Inland Empire. Good morning. It's August 14, 2022, and it's a Sunday. Day two <laughs> of weekend projects, and the fun work train is rolling. Today, after stopping off at the dining car, I'll be working with wood, tempera paint, oil paint, wood glue, wire, and I think that's it. <laughs> Everyone, have a great day. Dude, I could feel it. I knew he was going to phone that in. I got to be honest with you. He bored the tears out of me. Yeah, I think he nodded off himself. Man <laughs> almighty. Anyway. I don't think they're serving coffee in that training You know, anymore. it's not fair. You know, I, I tapped his knee and I was like, I need a little bit of time to come up the He's Randy very segment. frail. I, it, it did feel like his kneecap turned to dust when I touched it. But... <laughs> He uh he looked at me and instead of saying something he just paused which you know honestly I felt like he did a lot more a long time ago yeah he's been pretty uh I don't know man they're injecting him with something so is he is he done with with film or no I don't know <laughs> Randy didn't he I thought he said he was done making films but didn't he didn't isn't he working on something or something there was like a rumor that he was working on another TV show but I don't know if that's been uh, verified by anyone. Or not. Or with uh with Twin Peaks guy? I can't remember Our exactly, problem? but uh there was like a uh I think guy. someone saw him like going into like the Netflix building in LA or something <laughs> and they thought that he was gonna like yeah, make a project with them or something. And they tackled him. They're like, there he is. Um and did you hear about the other sighting? Uh, where Tarantino? No. No. Uh, he was spotted in Israel. Well his Wife is from Israel. Yeah, no, that's where he's been living. Yeah. I think he just like noped out. He's like, yeah, I'm over here now. Maybe. Yeah, I mean, fuck it. Whatever. <laughs> I've been uh, listening to his podcast, The Video Archives. Okay, we don't plug that here, Randy. That's <laughs> pretty good. He's got a new book coming out. Does he? Yeah. Uh, it's like a straight up film history book. Oh, oh, cool. I'd read that. Speculation on film or something. All right. Well, uh, thank you, Clark. Maybe dead wrong. So, bit. you know, don't judge me too much. It's the best I could do in this time, but I think we do have a Randy segment. So, Randy, I'm going to need you um, close your eyes and look inside and get ready to talk about the last time you uh, went on a date with this new segment uh, called. Randy's <laughs> <laughs> you found that that fast? <laughs> Okay. <laughs> Here's what happened. 
last week we were watching R- Russell would just randomly some sometimes turn on um Family, family feud, feud, yeah, with the great Stephen Harvey. And sure. this one happened to be <laughs> was this the Joe Coy episode? Yeah, they had an uncut extra long Joe Coy. I encourage you to watch any non unedited Family Feud episodes. <laughs> they're great. Not to say that like they're all salacious and stuff. It just so, sort of it goes out of the formula and I just like how that's presented. Well, you can tell how they really lean on Harvey. Like they just let him do whatever he wants. And then they find the show in that. And I mean, I, the only reason I watch this is because out here in daily city, uh, there's literally a temple built to Joe Coy. People worship at it. They leave their children and money there. And I'm like, you know, I really don't know the dude, but he's pretty popular. So I wanted to get to know him. And, uh, it was a good episode. And, um, you know, luckily I showed Clark and he came in and he went, wait a minute, (laughs) that's a drop. And, you know, I know it went by quick, but uh, if you listen to the end of that, you can hear Steve Harvey go, Randy. And it's my favorite part. So here, let me play it one more time. Randy, sex life. Oh, Randy. All right, Randy. uh, How's your sex life? Uh, non-existent, brother. Okay, all right, and that's the end of. Randy, sex life. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty good. Oh, dude, it, yeah. Well, that's just like I don't know what this is, but we can't not do it. Yeah, we had to pull it. Honestly, if Randy, I'm sorry. New new people listening, no, it was worth it. Uh, <laughs> slap your friend, whoever recommended you, or uh, your algorithm. They've let you down. But if you've been listening, you might remember one of my favorite segments, which was Jim Randy. Jim Randy. I miss Jim Randy. Yeah, I think we're really just trying to relive, recapture that magic. Um, well, think- we get we get walking, you know, we get Randy walking around. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. fun. <laughs> I do walks. I haven't been on my, uh, my jogging bullshit for a while. Oh, man. Uh, we also get, you know... <laughs> Curse of the Randy. We got birds flying in as well. Oh, I know. Hey, did <laughs> anybody you know die? Um, no, nobody. Anne Hesh. Oh, Anne Hesh. Yeah, your aunt. Uh, R.I.P. <laughs> <laughs> did you kill Anne Hesh, dude? I may have. Indirectly. <laughs> yeah, with the birds, dude. All right. So what happened? She got all drugged up and ran into a house? It, she's been doing bad. Yeah, I understand. I think she ran into yeah. two, two houses or a car and a house. She wrecked and then kept going Jesus. to wreck again. Yeah. It's fine. You know, I, <laughs> I I'm not really into the uh memorializing dead people. So I'm wh- not I'm just saying that's a <laughs> that's a way to go out, brother. Well, a uh, good segment or a good uh what what the hell are you call Segway. it? Segway. Segway, thank you. My favorite uh mode of transportation. <laughs> um are you ready to talk about our favorite show? Yeah. All I right. mean, I, I think it is safe to say this is our favorite show. <laughs> <laughs> it's a lot of fun. I've been having fun talking about it. I here. just love the discourse that is coming out of the show. Yeah. A lot of people are talking about this show, you know, all the snooty, faux, highbrow journalistic institutions are writing about it. Yeah, but they're not doing a good job. Like Vice, ever since you pointed out that one article... Dude, it pops up all the time that they're talking about the show, but it's not really that interesting. 
I don't know. Dude, they, it, Randy, did you see the New Yorker? Um, I think article? I saw the headline. Yeah, I didn't read the article, probably because I had already read a New Yorker article this month. <laughs> <laughs> That'll do it. You met your quota. Yep. One free per month. All right. That's well, insane. Uh, you know, I spent all my free time doing that uh, Randy sex life stinger, so I don't have a rehearsal roundup one. But um, yeah, we got episode five uh, astutely titled Apocalypto. Oh, man. And Clark, I'm sure you want to kick this one off as it introduced your new favorite character of the show. There are a few times in life <laughs> where, you know, the. Yeah. Just the term cold open gets me excited. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, we're just we're just off to the races. And anytime you think about a cold open, you know, you, you want to live up to those expectations. You want it to pack a punch. And this packed such a gastrointestinal punch because you open up with a child who calls himself Dr. Fart. And he lets you into his office, a.k.a. you're going into a child's bedroom. And he is inspecting you. And you are ill. And Dr. Fart says, I'm here to help you. What's your best? Give me what you got, Dr. Fart. He said, well, you got to eat my poo-poo. <laughs> you yada, yada, yada over all the farts. They tried many methods. He farts. farts on him. And he's like, well, it'll keep you alive, my farts. <laughs> But you got to eat my poo. And put a melted candy bar on the plate. Nathan Filter takes the melted candy bar and he eats the poo-poo. Yeah, you as a comic, you're very smitten with the sketch. And then they reveal that they're watching a home video of this. And Angela, the mother of this wonderful nuclear family, <laughs> is disgusted. and completely grossed out by Nathan's participation in this. She holds it together on the couch. She does. But then it is an ongoing fight throughout the rest of the episode. I think um, the important thing here is, is the perfect way to open up. Well, Adam has been reverted back to a six-year-old at this point. And uh, earlier, I think in episode four or three, we had been first introduced to the um, faux experience of memories being recorded and there was a very emotional little montage where nathan was running around with uh, one of the adam actors and it was striking to me then how how actually affected i felt even though i knew this was all phony and you know we're kind of revisiting that here and it had a little bit more weight to it because we know uh the alternate reality where adam ended up odin and running away so it's kind of like, oh, it's nice to be back here. And then when Angela kind of gives her like lack of enthusiasm, it's like, well, man, what's up with this bitch? Like I want, I was rooting for her. Yeah. But she, it was like, man, can you participate a little bit? Which, um, which later when we learned in the episode, she was not participating yeah. much at all. How betrayed did you feel by that? I mean, I, I, I always sort of sensed she wasn't fully in it anyway. Then what are you doing? I guess. I, I don't know what she does in her life. You know, if, if her dream life is, you know, her mailing stuff out of her Etsy business, 
making whatever what was she making? I don't know, candles or something. Randy, do you remember? No. Scented oil, I think, or I have no idea. Something along yeah, something useless. Yeah. You like scented candles? Yes. But <laughs> that's not my life's goal. Yeah, it's a it's a weird I mean, clearly we know that Angela, she must have had a a pretty uh checkered background. And you know, she found God as an, an attempt to correct things. And she's yeah. overdone it. She's gone too far that direction. Which, you know, religion is the next hurdle. Well, that, that was the thing. You know, look, why should people change? She went too far in one direction and goes too far in the other direction. I Like these things, you know. Well, she just needs to be authentic, I think. I mean, I'm no psychologist, but. Well, no, but what I'm saying is, you know, you are your nature, man. Yeah. You know, you're, you're either a frog or you're a scorpion. And sometimes scorpions are this color. Sometimes scorpions are that color. It's your scorpion. Oh, that's that's my favorite quote. Uh, <laughs> who are you calling that back from? Is that like Socrates or something? Was that Aesop? Oh, my God. No. So they get into a discussion with of religion. As this house is hyper-Christian, we have a beautiful large tree. We have lights up front. And it's wintertime. And uh, Nathan, you know, uh, again, pulling back the curtain, revealing the production, remarks on how expensive it is to maintain winter. And we see a dude out there blowing snow on their car. And we get that beautiful drone shot lifting up where the house is in the center. And as we pull further and further away, it is revealed that, what, we have like 100 feet diameter of snow to help make this fantasy a reality? Yeah. Man, I, at every turn in this show, I'm shocked by the commitment. Do we have any idea of what the budget for this show was? No clue. The budget per episode. Yeah, see if you can find anything. Because I, I imagine, what did they make? Six episodes? Yeah. Yep. What do you think, a million an episode? Well, I don't know. Does HBO, Is a budget? I mean, HBO did make Game of Thrones, and that show had to be like a movie yeah. every episode. And, yeah. you know, th I don't think this is certainly Game of Thrones numbers, but no. I imagine this is doing decently for them. Hey, and here's the thing. This show is really heady at first uh, glance, right? But I've talked to people who don't, they don't watch anything um, leaning artful. Like everything's kind of casual film viewing. And uh, I've gotten several people to watch this and they feel rewarded by it. I think the emotional impact is just there, even if you give a shit about the craft or not. Yeah. And I think um, this episode, dude, every episode we get, they're doubling down on it. And when the conversation of, you know, Nathan being Jewish comes up and he's like, Hey, can I have a little bit of my like tradition in raising Adam? Dude, Angela fucking stonewalled him. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't know. How did y'all feel about that? Unsur I mean, I, yeah, unsurprised yeah. for sure, but it was, it's kind of brutal. It's, it's just brutal as she's so unwavering. And if, you know, he's so timid that I thought like, man, well, maybe if you would just be like, Hey, I, it's important to me, but I felt like he did that. Yeah. Yeah. And she just didn't give a shit. Now I'd like to, to shift focus. Um, you know, as we're talking about Angela a good bit, but um, now in this episode, Nathan announced that he wanted to be fully committed to his family and there weren't going to be any sort of other rehearsals going on that he was going to fully commit to this rehearsal. 
So by virtue of that, he still had to do a rehearsal. Yeah. So he brought in a fake Angela. And I would like to talk about the fake Angela for a <laughs> second. Now, apparently this was a woman that was in the previous episode as a part of his acting troupe. Yep. And he has gone through and he has hired several of them um, for... Now, another thing that he did in this episode was he said that he had his bar sitting in the warehouse for over a month. And what he decided to do was get a temporary special event liquor license for that state and then created a very narrow tunnel that was nearly 100 feet uh, inside this 85-foot tunnel to the entrance of the bar to the street where they had a building facade out there where he created um, Nate's Lizard Lounge since he couldn't use the alligator bar uh, and then open it up as an actual bar and would hang hang out there and introduce the people as Nate. (laughs) And that that bar is in the same state that he's in because I think they briefly mentioned in episode three that they flew or they moved the bar. Yeah. 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 From the original warehouse. So, yeah, it's I've been uh, looking at Reddit a little bit. There's a large community out there for the um, for the rehearsal. And somebody did God's work and had created a red bubble shirt for Nate's Lizard Lounge. So I threw that in the chat, Randy. You should look at it. Uh, originally, I guess it had gotten a copyright strike immediately and got pulled. Damn. But I think it wasn't. It, people are speculating that HBO didn't do it. It was actually like Redbubble. So this one should live on there. But did you order one, Clark? I didn't. All right. Because I know you talked about it. <laughs> this looks good. Yeah. I don't know. We might have to pull the trigger on that. But the rehearsal of Angela. I think I predicted that last week when we were talking about it, that he was going to move more towards family life and need to rehearse difficult conversations. Yeah. Um, I got a little bit of a flashback from episode one here as these rehearsals ended up taking a pretty brutal, like these actors, man, they're fucking good. I don't know what it is, but there was that heated moment where I believe she knocked a lamp over. And was asking, uh, she kept calling Nathan a liar. And now Angela does this later on this episode too. And I I was so confused. I'm like, why? But I think the actor kind of got in Angela's head and was able to articulate it. And she kept saying, you know, you created this world, but you're not emotionally participating. And that makes you just working. Like you're lying. And she said, aren't you here for an actual emotional moment? And he's like, yeah, yeah. And she's like, well, you can never have one. Yeah. And it's like one of the most brutal. <laughs> it's so brutal. And his face like that. That's I was dying laughing in my room alone when that scene was happening. And it just because his reaction, because like she's like he's trying to match her intensity mm-hmm. and you can see him in Nathan Fielder brain, try to get in there because he's going like this. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's wonderful. I don't know. I felt diminished. Like, I don't know. That shit was brutal. I was not laughing. And it was also brutal. But yeah. I laugh at brutality. Anyway, <laughs> we, we skipped around a little bit. Um, after the uh, rejection of uh, Judaism in the house, uh, Nathan informs Angela that he's signed up adding for swimming lessons and he'll be back later. 
uh, we learn pretty quickly that they were never going to the pool. They're going to a mosque. <laughs> Not a mosque. What synagogue. A synagogue. I'm very up on oh, religion. God. Randy, Randy, we cut that out. <laughs> Make which, him sound like a dankus. Which one is the mosque? Is that Muslim? Which one is the mosque? We're trying to pull numbers in <laughs> Europe, dude. What the hell? Churches, mosques, and synagogues, you know? Mister, I'm going to read 50 books a year. <laughs> I haven't gotten to that one yet. That sorts it all out. Fuck. So we end up at a synagogue. Uh, how did you all feel about making the, the little kid pick between being a Christian or a Jew? It was pretty cute. I liked it. <laughs> he he coaxes awesome. him with the hat. Yeah. What's the hat called? I forget already. I don't, I don't know. I don't like this line of questioning. <laughs> Why? We were just on a podcast and you said we were going to have Ghislaine Maxwell on the next episode, but that you don't want to talk about oh, a yarmulke? It's like a kippa? A kippa. Yeah. Win one for the kippa. <laughs> there we go. Yeah, I don't know. You know, I was watching it with my mom, who uh, is very Christian. She's often guilted me about not making me go to church enough. So I was curious to see uh, how she would react. Like, oh, is this a good thing or not? I think she just thought it was funny. Which um, I think probably everybody that watched it would just be like, it's funny. Because, you know, Nathan even says, you know, I stopped going to synagogue because I found it boring. But, yeah. hey, it was a good chance to uh, connect with the kid. And they they get in there and the kid asked him a bunch of very uh, astute questions. Like, he couldn't answer one. Yeah. He's like, do they speak English? He's like, yeah, I'm Jewish. I speak English. I think yeah. that's about as far as he got. But, um, yeah. The, the best part of that is just, you know, they drive to like a Seven Eleven, and he buys a bottle of water and he dumps it on Adam's head and then he lays out the towel and dumps it. And he's like, all right, your mom's going to think we went to a pool here. And he started feeding him answers. Uh, do you think that worked comedically, Clark? It was wonderful. <laughs> I, I thought it was great because the kid kid was invested, man. And that's that's another thing of the show that we we've talked a little bit about, but. You know, they they have a lot of extras and uh, these are professional actors, these kids. And it's always fun to see like the level of commitment in some of these, like the Dr. Farts kids. That kid was just having fun. Oh, yeah. Um, and it was great. And I, we're not done talking about the the fart scene, but. This kid, um he just had this natural disposition about him where I'm like, yeah, I would believe it. Cause he's really, he's, he's just a chatty kid. Cause he starts naming, like I had a Ukrainian swim instructor and <laughs> he had blue shorts. <laughs> the, his whistle, his whistle was red and right. It just the timing of that. Nathan just put his hand on his shoulder, said, all right, well, I think we're going to go <laughs> yeah. to our room. It was, it was great. It was perfect. Now, now if Reddit is correct, and they think that everybody is acting here. Is Angela fantastic or terrible? I th she's fantastic either way. Yeah, I agree. I do agree. And um, I don't know. I The humor of this show. I think I've rewatched every episode two times. Yeah. Which is not normal for me. But there's a lot that you just start to forget because we're layered up. And the switching of the children but while maintaining an emotional arc with Nathan is it's just ridiculous on its face. Yeah. And 
you know, I actually I felt a little guilty because that moment we were talking about earlier with the actress who was portraying Angela, she was kind of articulating that in a way that I don't even know if Angela's paid attention to. Where she's like, do you go home and laugh at me? Like, what is this show? Am I the joke? And I felt a little uh, confronted as an audience member because I kind of have been laughing at her. She is like a wacky character who just kind of accepted this false world. And I felt a little guilty. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, totally. I, I really did. I was like, oh, shit, I'm sorry. But again, these actors almost like know the people better than they do themselves and uh i knew we were just getting into some rocky territory here and when we introduced miriam uh who is the jewish instructor that started teaching adam about uh judaism oh miriam oh what a character there right she's like the lovable grandma she's gonna bake you cookies or what what do they eat randy i don't know (laughs) am i supposed to know this You've watched Seinfeld through like five times. Uh, they talk about Bobka. There we go. Anything would have worked. I, <laughs> you know, she, after the first, le- so Nathan starts getting uh, Adam wet at her house and just starts throwing him in the shower. And she starts questioning him, which I'm sure. So the camera crew had to be in there, right? Uh, yes. Yeah. yeah. Because the way they portray this whole thing felt a little like um, it felt very quaint. And it's like, well, she's on camera like she has to know that. So I'm, I wonder behind the scenes what they had told her. Like, oh, yeah, we're doing this show or the rehearsal thing. And I do think they mentioned the whole rehearsal aspect because we get one of my favorite lines in this fucking show that just showed that there's a little bit more to Miriam than just being a uh, concerned uh, Jewish lady. Because when he, when she found out that Nathan was living with a woman who wouldn't allow it in any talk of like being Jewish in their home, she was instantly like, you got to get rid of this person. Like, this is why, you know, the Jews have been murdered all throughout history, which is legitimate. Pogroms are fucking real. And they were happening way before World War II. So you, you sit there and you're like, this is a legitimate person who's got a good point of view. And she's like, you know what? Bring me over there. And they jump in the car. And he's like, are you sure you don't want to do a rehearsal before we get there? And she turns to him and says, no, I like to shoot from the hip. And dude, I don't know how you guys felt, but I was worried. I'm like, "Uh oh, this is a different kind of monster here. Like everybody in this show is kind of dealing with anxiety. This lady, I was like, is she armed? (laughs) She's. She doesn't have a care in the world, and she's got a uh, ideology she's about to fight for. And um, how did you all feel about these two titans clashing on the couch? Again, not surprised <laughs> with yeah. the results that were yielded. Um, I get. I don't know how long it went because it was edited very, like they edited. very quickly. Yeah. So time time wise, you know, I, I'd be interested to to know how long it was. Um, but I imagine it wasn't very interesting. Well, here, here's the thing: you, you know. mentioned edit, and that's a good point because in reality TV, they always talk about the edit. Like even RuPaul was like, "Blame it on the edit." It's a thing she talks about. And people post show like Robin Stone, who DM'd me, has been out there very vocal saying they edited me fucked up. We all know Robin. There was no good edit in there. But when Angela was sitting on the couch with Miriam, 
I thought Angela was being kind of, she was being polite. Like what she was saying was kind of rude because she was being stubborn over something where it's like, just fucking let it go. And yeah, but she wouldn't. Yeah. But then we found out Miriam and you might be right about the edit. She just straight up was like, I'm done. Called her anti-Semitic. Yeah. You're an anti-Semite. I have no time for you. I think we're done. And it was like, whoa, because, you know, uh, say what you will about Angela. She hasn't done that. Yeah. Like just thrown down a gauntlet and been like, fuck you. I'm out. And I was, I don't know, man, Miriam kind of, I was kind of taken aback by that. Well, and then also the, the close of the episode is also just another home run. Well, you know, they close it out. The showdown, it, it brings up another showdown where uh, Nathan does talk to Angela and he just mentions like, you know, I entered into this as, you know, I was the showrunner, but I really do want to participate in this. And when I was hanging out in Nate's lizard lounge, I was reviewing footage and I noticed that every time I'm not here, you're completely removed from the immersion. Like uh, you had mentioned her dumb shipping thing. They had bought a bunch of boxes and like they had a simulated experience that she was supposed to go through to kind of give her the experience. And she just completely checked out of it. Nothing. And there was nothing for the fake mailman to pick up, which is one of my favorite little B roll moments of that (laughs) whole fucking episode. But you know, he's making a point like, hey, I'm here. Uh, I feel like you're not engaged. And she's just like, yeah, you're right. And uh, I think it's time to end it. And I was shocked. As was I. Yeah, I I, I believe the first time I watched it was the second time you watched it. Right. Mm-hmm. What was your reaction like? Like, holy shit. What? Well, my first reaction was uh, I'm wrong. Oh, because I. The week prior, I said on the show, I was like, yeah, the ending has to be centered around her. And you were like, yeah, naturally. And then I was like, oh, well, she's out. I was like, well, why would it be around her? This whole thing is him. Yeah. Of course. Duh. You moron. Um, And it slowly become that. And, you know, I think that's what a lot of the, um, you know, writing about this show and his process has been, um, you know, about how egocentrical or however they want to frame it um that this is but you know i don't i don't know i i think that this show hits home to me because of his process and him naturally getting into i don't know man i just uh i love it yeah i randy how did you feel about it uh again probably my favorite episode i think it keeps getting better uh with every episode and um yeah i don't know i mean the the thing about angela like we were saying i mean i guess what it boils down to is like passive aggressiveness, but the way she says things is in like, seems like it's coming off in a kind way. Like the way she like her message, we may very much disagree with, but like the way she comes off, like she's really like trying to like be nice and stuff. So it's like, yeah, I don't know that that whole thing is kind of like kind of compelling and like confusing at the same time. Yeah. Um, But we, Sorry, unless you got pudding for brains, you can't get along with that, man. No. Yeah. We uh, we didn't mention, and I don't remember chronologically where it lies, the uh, Mel Gibson conversation, which oh, yeah. is where the title comes from. Yeah. They, also, the parents came over. We didn't say anything about that. Yeah. Well, Nathan was feeling around, I believe it was before the first rehearsal, and he was okay. kind of yeah, yeah. approaching it, and the conversation quickly was turning into an argument. 
And he was like, well, let's change the topic. How, let's t- what's your favorite movie? And she said, Apocalypto. <laughs> and it was just, it was the fucking funniest. I mean, in what It's world? almost like she's trolling. I know. Yeah, totally. Well, she- But lect- she's not. She lectured him for playing with their faux son and uh, simulating eating poop and telling him that was satanic. And he's brought up a line that I've actually, you know, said to other people where it's like, well, why don't you just fucking make a list? Because it sounds like you're anything you disagree with, you're just kind of like stamping with that. Yeah. But I, and those are my favorite because that, that that's Nathan being real. Oh, you yeah. can see real yeah. frustration on his face and just the way he's processed. And my favorite line of this whole thing was, you know, you ate a child's poop. <laughs> and then she said, and he just says, he riffed it and I went with it. <laughs> yeah. And I was, that would be my defense. <laughs> like, he's I like, do you know sketch it. comedy? She's like, yeah, I'm a big Key and Peele fan. Oh, yeah. it's so good. <laughs> Because he's like, he's basically saying, bitch, this is my lane. Get away. Well, you know, let's uh, paint the picture of her taste in visual arts. We've got Keen Peele representing her TV and comedy. And then we have (laughs) Apocalypto for film. Yeah. And Mel Gibson is her favorite director. Dude, how weird. She loves his camera effect that makes it float. Yeah. She's like, you know, floating. What? (laughs) You mean like I, a tr- a dolly track? Yeah, what the hell? Dude, I it's just, you know, Key and Peele and Apocalypto. And <laughs> this is the girl who thought Halloween was satanic. What what a trip. I mean, I love Angela. I hate to see her go, as she did leave. And you know, I did I did dig the uh the parent stuff too, and especially the uh I guess, you know, he has a conversation with them after he had uh, after they all had lunch together. And uh, I guess, like, his mom kind of gives him the, like, feedback that, uh, you know, he kind of takes the back seat in relationships and kind of, like, and he himself says, like, in order to avoid confrontation, I often, like, let the other person kind of, like, take control. And I very much um, feel that. I have definitely done that many a times in uh, relationships. And on this podcast. Yeah. <laughs> no, I'm a, I'm a backseat kind of guy, you know what I'm saying? Oh, we want front seat Randy, baby. Well, here's the thing. And you're right, Randy. Clark had mentioned um, how, you know, people online are all saying this is all ego and Nathan. And I actually think he's making a very strong point, you know, to hark back to a true filmmaker like Douglas Sirk, (laughs) 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 who, you know, did weepies and hated it. And he really mocked the faux reality of these uh, like 50s women's film. And I think. Nathan's doing a better version of this where, you know, he keeps asking himself in this episode, like, what's real? Like, I don't remember who I am or where I am or how I should be. And I think the answer is if you build a fake house and have fake seasons and celebrate uh, raising your son with your fake wife and the son is also fake, I still think that's your real life. Like you've created a faux reality, but it's all real. And it's kind of freaking me out, if I'm going to be honest, because him inviting his parents over when they come in, it's, you know, they're they're like, you you can't be with this girl because you're religion. And he's like, why do you care? It's a fake kid. But he didn't say it to him. Yeah. And then at the very end of the episode, when Miriam comes back and he tells her, yeah, she's gone. And she's like, oh, really? That's good. But what about the boy? And he's like, well, Adam's here with me. And she said, fantastic. She was so fucking happy. Yeah. 
And then uh, as the end credits roll, so we, we get a little bit of a, you know, a little bit of Zionist talk out here. And she starts defending Israel in, a, you know, as Nathan would put it, in the current hot button issue. If you have a platform, you should support <laughs> Israel. Yeah. Dude. And I, I don't know. How did you guys feel about that moment? I, I, it was perfect. It was absolutely perfect. And it was just sort of commentary of like, you know, sometimes the things that you fight for are not perfect either. Yeah. But everything, everything is balanced. Everything comes back full circle. Well, you know, I think in the relationship of fake and real, Miriam felt real, right? She was like, I don't want to rehearse. I shoot from the hip. I don't need any of this fake shit. I have real beliefs. And then... She kind of defeated the uh, pretender, right? And yeah. we're left with her and we're like, this is better. And then we realize, oh, no, it's the other side of the fucking coin. And um, Nathan, you're still getting pushed around. Yeah. I'll, yeah, that that's what I'm saying. Like, it's, it's dude is perfect. It was a this show. I think if I could describe it in one with one adjective, it would be bittersweet. Every episode, I feel full of uh, life. And happy to be alive, but at the same time, I start to question all of reality. And I kind of feel bad for Nathan constantly. Yeah. So I don't, I can't, I had a correct prediction last week. This week, I have no idea what we're getting into or how they're going to end it. Have no idea. And Clark did point out when we were watching it, um, the end of season or what, the season finale? It's that season finale. So hopefully. I don't know. I feel like this may be a one and done. I I just assumed maybe it was going to say series finale, but because I thought it was like a limited thing, but maybe it's a. But I think you might be right. Thing. You got to pay attention to the details with this one. Oh yeah. All right. Well, do we think we're going to get any uh, former characters coming back? Uh, you got to right. No. I don't think so because um, we didn't see the. Raising Kane's guy, he said, I never saw him again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. But Robin Stone, maybe he's going to wreck a scion into the side of the building. Core Skeet, I'd, I'd, I'd hang out with Core. I, you know, I love this whole colorful cast. His education situation. I, I just don't know. I don't know how they're going to wrap it up. We've just got Miriam introduced. And I, how long was this last episode? Does anybody know? I it think it was still good. only like 30. It was shortish. It felt short. I think we talked about it longer than the actual runtime of the episode. Yeah, that's good. We need to reflect. The show's layered, man. Clark's doing a visual bit on an audio medium right now. Yeah. (laughs) That sums up his comedy career in a nutshell. Well, y'all the ones who were (laughs) captivated by it. So (laughs) what do you want me to do about it? Okay. The rehearsal. Three stars from Russell Fisher. Now. You, I mean, this is perfect, right? It's five stars. I don't know. We got one more episode. Oh my god, Mister Completist over here! I don't. You know what, guys? I just think I think I'm done. I don't want to watch the end of it. <laughs> <laughs> just want to edge forever, dude. Randy, yes, sir. This week was a week that you lived your life. Did that you it watch- was. Any movies during this week? I watched a couple. Um, I wanted to watch another one this morning uh, that I rented on a, a Blu-ray disc. 
But uh, I had a power outage at my house this morning. So, oh my uh, goodness. Yeah, they've been um, doing improvements to the power grid in the area. And I think... Uh, what does that mean? I don't know if this was scheduled, like, uh, outage, but uh, it was only out for like maybe an hour, hour and a half. And I... Oh, Randy, that's what that bird was crashing into. Uh, it was a carrier pigeon. Uh, <laughs> it just crashed into your house. Must have been. I missed the message, whatever it was, but... Well, how long was the power out? Uh, like an hour and a half, but it was fine. I just went and uh, I read a book at a coffee shop, like a hipster. An entire book? <laughs> no, like 35 pages. What'd you read? I read another Jeff Vandermeer, Jeff Vandermeer novel. Who is that? The author of the book Annihilation. Oh, yes, of course. Thank you so much. Pardon, beg my forgiveness. What's this one about? More stupid sci-fi shit? Pretty much, yeah. <laughs> That's the it? same alley. What's, what is, why, is, why the sci-fi? Why, why, why do you like the sci-fi? Uh, I don't know. That's a good question. It's, uh, it's interesting, and I feel like it is... Uh, the sci-fi that I like, a lot of it can be more earthbound than, say, like a fantasy novel, which is like why I don't really like fantasy. Yeah, but I don't know. I like the the big uh, ideas, and you know, it's cool. All right, it's very cute, adorable. That besides reading, though, yeah, what we got? I watched a movie on uh, VOD last night by Ooh. directors Noah Dixon and Ori Segev, uh, also written by Noah Dixon. It's called Poser, and it is not the film Poser that played. The Unnamed Footage Festival. It is another one that I think uh, also played festivals in 2021, but it it just now came out on VOD. Um, so essentially, the movie is about um, the main character. Her name is Lennon. And she's, I don't know, like 20-something. She's living in Columbus, Ohio. And she is very just into like sort of like underground music scene in the Columbus, Ohio area. Imagine. And, uh, she has, she has a lot of just, you know, records and stuff. And she uh, decides that she wants to, in order to sort of like get out of her comfort zone, she's very like a lonely character. Um, so she decides to start a podcast. And this is the first of two movies that I watched this week where a character had a podcast. Oh, boy. But um, yeah, so uh, she essentially decides to do a podcast, uh, just sort of covering like local artists um, in the scenes. So she just kind of like, goes out with her phone and goes to different like art shows and different like underground things. Like she goes to like some, like a folk punk show. She goes to like a rap show, just kind of like whatever she can, she can find and like get into. She goes around and interviews and she's always like, uh, she's always recording like even like people's conversations when there are unbeknownst to her recording sometimes, which is kind of weird. Um, and so eventually she ends up friends with, um, this artist named Bobby Kitten, who is in, uh, so she's a real life uh, musician and she's in a band called Damn the Witch Siren. They're kind of like dancey, but also like kind of punky. Uh, there's like some guitar stuff, but there's a lot of like electronic stuff and they kind of become friends. Um, Danny Kitten or Bobby Kitten thinks she's kind of weird. Um, and she is kind of weird. Like I said, she's kind of a lonely character and, um, some things start to unravel during the movie. 
um, sort of about her character and she might not um, be 100% truthful about things that she is telling her new friend, uh, Bobby. And um, yeah, it's um, it's really cool. It uh, actually, I think, has a really good sense of like, obviously I'm not from Ohio, but just going on tour and kind of like going to sort of like punk music scenes um, in areas that aren't like the coasts, you know, it has like a really good sense of like place in the movie. Um, I've played Columbus before I've played Cleveland and, uh, it felt very just like real. Um, so I like that all the music and all the shows she goes to are like real artists from the area. I don't know who the directors are. They might be musicians themselves. Um, I need to kind of like look into it further, but, um, and it's also kind of like a slow burn, like a very slow burn thriller. Um, so there's sort of like more thriller elements come into the last like third of the movie. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I really liked it. It's like, it's definitely up my alley, you know, it's, um, I don't know, just the whole sort of like underground, like music scene and stuff was very cool. And, um, yeah, I don't know. It was cool. I like the look of it. It looks like it's a shot super board. well. Yeah. It it's, I think it's their feature or their first film. Um, and it's like a very confident looking movie. Like whoever shot it, shot it like very well. Um, the actors are really good. Yeah, it's, it's great. Now you, uh, you mentioned that they uh, got a podcast in here. Yeah. I don't know how you feel about that, but when it pops up in a movie, I fucking cringe. Yeah. I implode. <laughs> yeah. I want to hide. Yeah. It was kind of cringy at first, but I think I read that that was part of the synopsis. So I kind of knew it going in, but I think the stuff that was kind of cringy about like her podcast or like the things that she was saying. And she like talks about how like she uh, converts her podcast into analog because like analog sounds better, but like the fact that, so she is like the titular poser, I would say. So like, I think it's self-aware, like the uh, sort of cringy stuff because she's kind of like, she doesn't really know who she is and she's kind of like wrapped up in like these musicians and she's kind of trying to like pick pieces of like other people and try to like make an identity out of that. Yeah. I don't know. It's really interesting. I think you guys would dig it. How did you watch it? Uh, it's on VOD right now. It was like a six buck rental. How much to buy? I don't rent. Uh, I don't know. I didn't, I didn't even check the buy option. Probably something like that. Oh yeah. My God. Commit to something. <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, fuck man, Randy, you know, the podcast hurts things. Um, yesterday I, I wanted to show Clark a short, it was, um, ZVP, which was recommended to me, uh, from Chad lot, who I mentioned on zombies versus predator, uh, Zatoichi versus predator. That's nice. a light spoiler, but it's fucking good. It's on YouTube. And I didn't want to tell Clark because Oksana was in the room too. And neither of them knew predator was going to show up. And I didn't want to tell him. And he was like, dude, I need to know. Is this fucking homework? <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, you know, I hate it, but I feel that way too. And whenever I want to watch a Randy movie, I'm like, fuck, this isn't homework. So I can't two birds, one stone. I just, I need to know what I'm walking into. I get it. But I, I wanted to keep that from you a little. I know. And yeah. I, it was infuriating me. I know. It's <laughs> short. It's Grindhouse. You're like, no, no. What is it? And I'm, Yeah. I was like, I just need to know what this is. Yeah. So, Randy, I want to watch it, but God damn it, man. It's I, very good. I you should. Hell of a time. Oh, okay. I thought you were talking about Poser. I was like, oh, you watched it? 
How many, uh, Randy? Four stars. Three and a half. It's a solid three and a half. Oh, yeah. God damn yeah. it. I, was, I felt three and a half in like, my bones. <laughs> it's like lacking a little bit, like of a, I don't know, resolution, sort of. But um, other than that, I, I really dug it. So the film is out of focus. All right, I'm not watching it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Randall, what else? Uh, the only other thing that I'll talk about that uh, are not the two uh, movies that Russell saw, I finally saw the uh, Zulowski film Possession from 1981. Have you uh, you guys seen this? No. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Sam Neill, uh, Isabel Adjani. Fantastic. Yeah. It was incredible. I hadn't seen it before. I knew that there was a recent Blu-ray release. Uh, so I rented that from um, Videodrome once again. Shouts out. And uh, yeah, I, I totally see this, the influence this movie had on many uh, movies that I really dig, like especially movies that I've seen recently. Like there's, I see some of this in uh, Men or um, Resurrection. Um, yeah, it was incredible. Definitely not a, uh, a light watch. It's quite uh, disturbing. And there's some really good um, practical effects that are really, really gross. But yeah, I loved it. Yeah, I have a um, beautiful like Blu-ray limited edition that I got off of uh, Code Red, and it's in the background if you watch any of the uh, Blu-ray Tuesday videos. And oh, people, okay. people hit me up about it. I think it's still available. It's a little pricey, but the fucking thing has like a felt slipcover. It is incredible. Huh. It's got a lot in it, too. Um, yeah, man, I'm pumped you watch this. This is one of those movies yeah. that's like, as uncompromisingly art house as it is horror. Totally. And, yeah. And normally you don't get that, but there's that one moment where they're in like that subway and she's mm -hmm. freaking out. Oh man. I think about that every now and then. Dude. Incredible performances. Like Isabel Johnny is like perfect in it. And like incredibly just like you feel for her so much in it. But Sam Neill is also like incredibly creepy. And uh, yeah, I mean, I hadn't really, seen much from Sam Neill besides like Jurassic Park, you know, and then like stuff <laughs> post that. So oh, seeing okay. him do this was just like, it was, a uh, it was quite something. Oh, it's fantastic. You see Event Horizon, dude? I think I saw it, but I don't know. I'm not a big like disaster movie person. Uh, I feel like Event Horizon you'd be into. It's very heady sci-fi. Uh, maybe I'll give it another watch. Yeah, it's no possession though. And um, just so you know, Randy, you could pull off a possession shirt. When you see those fools walking around, you're like, oh, this little motherfucker thinks he's armed with like a secret weapon. <laughs> yeah, I know. I'm almost like want to say it's like a psychological thriller, which I think is a word that you don't like as well or a classification because it is there is a lot of like psychological stuff in it. But as you said, like it definitely leans pretty hard in horror as well. Yeah, the tentacles and shit are just they're fantastic. But I, yeah. I think, no, you're right, because I feel like uh from what I remember, this movie's kind of uh, the fear of your romantic partner being over somebody else's apartment. And yeah. it, it almost kind of took the, the framing of like, what's going on over there. And then imagine mm -hmm. horrible sexual. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I'm, I'm stoked. You watched that. Yeah. I'm stoked. I finally watched it. They played it at the Plaza, like maybe a month ago. And I think I was not in town or something oh. or it was playing super late. So I just, I knew that I would probably fall asleep. So bummed that I missed it in theater, but glad I finally saw it. 
we need to talk about. I don't know. I just took Kevin there. Though, to, to, uh, Randy, anything else? Yeah, you're good. Okay. That's the thing. I couldn't fully commit to what I was doing. We're sure we're good on the embargo here? <laughs> 100%. Okay. Thursday's episode. Scheduled to talk to a director. That director made the sequel to the film, which I'm about to talk about. After I talk about the inspiration behind the sequel, I will talk about the sequel. I will commence both of those conversations now by talking about the prior first. Orphan! Everybody, we remember this movie from 2009. Randy, did you ever see Orphan? I have not, no. Randy, you have not seen? No. Well, Randy, you may have a similar story to mine. Now, Russell, if you remember these days, if you wind the clocks back to the year 2009, yours truly was working at a video rental store. Now, I imagine, you know, you were banging around a couple of video rental stores around that time. 2009, you were still renting from the video store, yeah? Yeah, I think so. What What was your video rental store? The, uh, oh, God, I think we were going to Hollywood. Hollywood, right? Is that the one? There was, we, yeah, by where we used to live. Yeah, and the last time I went, I remember there being a wall of Avatar. Yep. So I think it might have been around that time, <laughs> yep. right? We got a lot of Avatar. Avatar was, in fact, the first Blu-ray movie we ever got. Oh, how unfortunate. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Randy, what, what movie store did you go to when I were um, Mostly Hollywood video, but the blockbuster was maybe like half a mile further. So definitely have gone to both, but primarily uh, Hollywood video. So I, could, I got, as part of my job, I could get free movies. I could get up to three movies per day. There are three movies out at a time, you know. So yeah. it was essentially unlimited movies is what I had. And because I have a sickness, I also rented from Blockbuster on a regular basis <laughs> <laughs> because they had more art house stuff. Uh, but I say all that just to say that, you know, this movie is always sort of centered around that time in my life because I remember this movie coming out theatrically and i remember this movie coming out into the rental market in around 2010 and uh it being spoiled for me very quickly uh because i did not get to see it in the theater and in lieu of uh just battling through it i just didn't watch it until yesterday when i Watched it again with Russell John the Fisherman and Oksana Valerinova. Osachi. Orphan. What do you think? I talked about it last week. Very little. Uh, I thought it was fantastic. This Now, Oksana, as, you know, an Eastern European, <laughs> a little bit of Russophobia going on here. Mm-hmm. What do you think? Confirmed. <laughs> I mean, also not really. Because um, it's only, I don't know, it's only when she starts being like shady that they start suspecting her. She's shady from 
get from the get go. She's unsettling from the get go for sure. But all right, let's get into it. So Esther is the child's name in the film, played by Isabel Furman. Now Isabel Furman, um, we've talked about her on this very show. This very actually it was last year, I believe. Thank you so much uh, for her portrayal. Um, in the novice, Randy, she was in uh, the novice. That film about the crew racer. Did you ever watch that? I don't think so. No. Oh, it's very good. The novice. Check it out. Clark rated it very high. Probably not five stars because there's always room for improvement. <laughs> Thanks, Dad. Agreed. Now. She was 10 years old when this movie came out. I When you told me this, Oksana, it blew my mind. Yeah, me too. <laughs> it was wild. Uh, incredible makeup job there. It's also unsettling that she was 10 in this movie. I'm not going to lie to you. Because she's trying to do a, little, do a little dance. Get a little seductive with Peter Sarsgaard. Peter Sarsgaard, very handsome man. But... Getting hit on by a 10-year-old who's playing a 33-year-old. It's confusing times we're living in, buddy. <laughs> but, yeah, she was great. I mean, it, honestly, the movie hinges, the success of the movie hinges on that performance. And it hinges on the look. And the look works. Um, because, again, and uh, look, the... The whole hook of this movie, the whole twist of this film is the foundation of the sequel. So, you know, spoiler alert, she was 33 years old and was playing a nine or 10 year old. Um, and that was the the spin in the first one. Now, we'll talk more about the second one um, here when we queue that up. But just execution wise, it hits everything you want to. Uh, incredible cast here: Vera Farmiga, Peter Sarsgaard, uh, Margot Martindale, Randy, Bo, little Bojack for you. <laughs> um, what a cast, dude! Uh, and Sarsgaard and Farmiga going head to head. Also getting a little, getting a little horny from time to time. Uh, these two were just Vera Farmiga is at the top of her game here. Uh, she is fully committed. As this mom, and it's I also like a story to where you've got a highly intuitive mother and a dumb dumb daddy, and the dumb dumb daddy always dumb dumb dies. <laughs> <laughs> I man, I fucking hate that. I, hate I like the dumb it. dumb daddy thing. I um I always think of a Paranormal Activity with Micah, where they're just like Mika. The problem is that most of those characters are usually two dimensional. But I don't think the dad in this one was um, John Peter Sarsgaard. He uh, he's good in it. He's good. Well, he's that, a good actor. That's you really got to be nuanced to carry that kind of role too, because you really are two dimensional. Do you know who's do he, Do you know who he's married to in real life? No, Maggie Gyllenhaal. Oh, weird. Interesting. I mean, um, they're New York power couple. Did you are right though. Vera is in her underwear. I think three different times in this. She's always got the lacy panties on. And, she knows that she'll show it. You know, call back to the rehearsal, but I feel like her Angela arc would be going from orphan to the conjuring, where she overcorrects. And instead of being a drunk, she becomes a religious uh, psychic. Let me tell you something. Vera Farmiga would be a hell of an Angela. 
<laughs> she would crush she, it. She would crush it. She would be terrifying. And, you know, the one thing I think I, I didn't emphasize enough is that the director, whose name Randy will have to pronounce, pronounce Wom Colette-Sayer, I don't know, he is the guy who did House of Wax, and uh, he also did The Shallows. Now, feel how you will about those movies, but Orphan included, I think he's shooting, he's, he's over-performing uh, for the content he's giving. And I, you know, I know we didn't like The Shallows, but as far as like a well-directed movie, it was. And House of Wax is great. I mean, we we talked about it when we went back to the Alamo and rewatched it again. That movie's aged well. And also uh, Tourist Trap. When we talked about Tourist Trap. Oh, yeah. Yep. And um, this dude, he's just crushing it. I'm glad to see him working, but it does look like he's working on a movie named Black Adam. And yep, it's The Rock as a superhero. He's doing Black Adam? He's directing it. Whoa. So this might be one of the rare moments that I need to go watch a superhero movie because of faith in the director. <laughs> um, have you seen the, the trailer for Black Adam? I'm watching it right now on IMDb, and it <laughs> is uh, fucking hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> She-Hulk move over. Black yeah, Adam's on yeah. the scene. <laughs> Just DC. But again... I mean it. He he's overperforming like the the script he's given. Although, you know, he does have a good cast in both of them. He had that guy from Cousin Skeeter in House of Wax. Love him. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, Orphan Orphans is solid time, man. Uh, it's it's great. Hits all the notes you want. Um, we'll say little long in the tooth. We're we're right around two hours here. And um, little, little long, you know, I feel like we could have gotten this to a nice taut 140. But, you know, killer kids with a little twist here. Good. Vi- a lot of CG fire. We'll say that, you know, I feel like we haven't um, been, you know, we haven't been good fire marshals of CG fire. <laughs> it's true. Um, and I will say a copious amount of CG fire. Um, in a treehouse and whatnot, um, where I made a few snide comments, but um, still, you yeah. know, for two thousand and nine, what are you gonna do? Had an amazing and like incredibly unsafe looking playground in it too. I completely forgot about that. Yeah, the play structure. Yeah. at the park, that thing looks cool. Also, I I love how um, sign language played a part in this film, which I don't know if it fully paid off. But that was a cute kid regardless. Yeah. I think you, you got to think about it. Yeah. I, I haven't really explored that either, but I think it was just uh, finding your voice, maybe calling for help. Yeah. Because she she was like pretty brutally beaten down by. Uh, oh, yeah. Man. By it was uh, rough. Esther. Yeah. This, uh, they, yeah. They don't they don't cut corners with, you know, kills here. Like, no. you know, we're 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 killing babies. <laughs> I mean, Esther had a gun and was firing it at another little girl. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's wild. And she's a uh, little horny. I, you know, now you're about to pivot into the, the prequel. Yeah. And um, there's a weird thing going on because Esther fucking somehow felt believably both 10 and 30 in this movie. Yeah. I thought when they did the old lady makeup on her. She, it really changed her face and it made her feel kind of horrific. 
dude, I thought, okay, she's 15. When you said 10? Yeah. Good Lord. <laughs> Very um old soul. So just super talented. <laughs> yeah. No, it's just Very like, adult. man, you pulled it. It's just crazy. And it, But also, like, you know, to have that talent, that's one thing. I get that. But it also... I, I will say I get a little melancholy when I think about that. When I think about child actors, I do get a little melancholy and I get a little sad. Because I, I don't know. My biggest thing with children is that they need to have a childhood. Uh-huh. And when you work in, you know, actor days, and I know they've got a lot of like laws and stuff, but do they still, and it, it still messes you up. You have a weird, you can't have a traditional like education system. You got to have like a little, you have to have a tutor to do it. So you think uh, you Nathan, have have, you Nathan have Paul Field, Rudd to do it. Nathan Fieldman has ruined a hundreds of children's lives then. <laughs> Oh, dude, it's, dude, the child actor, that's rough. I mean, look what it did to Tim Dillon. No, you know, honestly, uh, uh, Jeanette McCurdy, who's been talking a lot about her book, um, I'm Happy That My Mother Died. I heard her give an interview where she talked about being a, a child actor. And she said, the thing that I've never heard anybody articulate that I really felt was that when you're working with adults on this level, you start to feel like you're on their level. Yeah. So as a kid, you start to feel like you're an adult and people should listen to you when you talk. And she's like, it's so distorting. And honestly, I feel like that's where the Hollywood, like, you know, it's a hundred percent a distortion, the Epstein stuff and all the Macaulay call. It's like, I feel it's like, a balance. That's why you yeah. have to like, you have to surround your, that was the thing. That was the danger of like only hanging out with like comedians. Oh, like, or, you know, well, it's one thing with comedians, but like, if you only hang out with actors, I don't know how the fuck you do that. <laughs> oh, it's horrible. Um, like, I couldn't even hang out with the actor comedians. It's like, you're just, you're too much, man. Like, you have to have that balance there. And you have to have someone to, like, hold you down. And, you know, when you get into these, you know, vacuums of just success and people telling you you're great all the time. Yeah. Yeah. It's no good. Yeah. You'll end up in a fake house with a fake child that you're raising and having an argument about what religion <laughs> to teach them. Yeah. That sounds like a talking head song. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Uh, yeah. Orphan. Great. And orphan first kill, which is, of will be available on Paramount plus on August 19th. Uh, directed by William Brent Bell. And if everything goes accordingly, insert wood knock right there. We'll have that episode to you uh, on Thursday, the day before the release of the film. So uh, thank you to everyone involved with sending the screener over to us, which worked. Thank God that we've got our screener technology up and running. It was the same publicist. She's like, you saw it, right? Do you need a new link? <laughs> no, we're See, good. No, it's good. Now we got our process in place. All right. We're double checking. I like it. Um, you know what else I liked, Russell Fisher? What'd you like? I like this film. Oh, okay, good. That'd I be like awkward if the guest showed up and you're like, I fucking hated it. Well, uh, <laughs> let's don't say that we haven't been there before. <laughs> but maybe we've been there before. Uh there is I am so glad that we watched, that we queued up Orphan and then we went into Orphan First Kill. Yeah. That's the way to, it's it because there are, as you stated, a lot of callbacks, a lot of Easter eggs. Yep. And they, they are really, you know, 
paying a lot of service to the original film, uh, which did very well in the box office. Um, I, uh, including worldwide and domestic Randy, I think it made like 75, $76 million. So pretty well, I imagine the budget for, you know, I don't know, 2009 horror film. You got a Farmiga. How big was Farmiga in 09? Not very big. No. Skarsgård, he's very talented, but he's not a huge name. I imagine the budget for that is under $10 million. Yeah, I'm there with you. So I imagine they did very well on that. Yeah. It's 20. The budget was 20? Apparently, yeah. Damn. According yeah. to Wikipedia. Still. they no, made it's still good. They, they did a killing. And I imagine the, uh, the rental rights were... Decent. Well, 2009. No, that's when it was all ending. Oh yeah. Around 2010. That's what did it. All right. Orphan first kill. Now, she's back. All right. Young lady is back from the first one. And again, like, yes, she's playing a younger version. But guys, movies, movies are great. Did it work? It worked, man. Yeah. It worked for me. Because that's what I'm saying is that, you know, movies will figure it out. These are talented people. They are they are masters of their craft. They have a job and they execute the job. And they were like, hey, here's the deal. We've got a girl. She's in her mid-20s now. We need you to make her look like she's 10. When she was 10, she was playing a 33-year-old. <laughs> you figure it out. Got it? And it, it worked perfectly. What did you think? Uh, I thought it was a little distracting because you come in so aware. Like, wait, you're making a prequel to a movie that I loved like 12 That's years the thing. later. I'm trying to, I just, once I was able to just separate that from my head. Yeah. It felt like confusing. Like the, the little girl playing the old person is now in the future playing a little girl again, but now she's an old. Yeah. It, um, it's a little tricky, but once you're on board, I mean, it doesn't take long for this movie to get going. And it does. She looks a little weird. Like we had a conversation about, um, are they doing perspective twists or like, uh, are they doing something with the cat? Is it all in camera? Are they doing CGI? Are they deep faking a little girl? And I think ultimately, oh, am, I, am I kicking your feet? You're playing footsies. I didn't know. I was hoping that wasn't your feet. I thought that was a table. And I was like, fuck, am I playing footsies? With it just was weird because we're talking about an old little girl. The, <laughs> I know. Um, anyway, I mean, once you're on, once you get like acclimated to it, it's fine. Yeah, I think it, it it's kind of always there, but it's not bad. And this movie, the, the original, I would say is very good, son. Like it's a very like hard hitting drama that um, has some horrific like notes to it. This one, they fully embraced the horror genre and um, there's a little bit more camp here and we're definitely playing around with tropes. So I think it complete, it works fine. It's yeah. good. Yeah. Yeah. Really enjoyed it. Um, and again, you know, look, this thing's got its own twist and it, it caught us all off guard. Yeah, it's a little tough to talk about this one. If you're a fan of the original, just approach it and know. Um, well, actually, here. So William Brent Bell, he uh, is one of my favorite directors right now. And I, I don't know how many people feel the same way. He's got a lot of hit and miss in his um, filmography. But he did The Boy, which I was completely smitten with. But he also did Stay Alive. Which, when I watched that, that was one of the first films that I rewatched because I had such a good time 
laughing. Yeah. Frankie Muniz just was hilarious in that movie for me. And, you know, he also did Brahms, uh, the boy too, which I didn't love because of, again, playing in the genre, but he's the one helm in this movie. And, you know, you never know where your footing is. And I think that actually benefited the film here. It's good. Um, again, probably not a Randy movie. <laughs> We're the first one. I think Randy might get some enjoyment out of it, but yeah, this is definitely more of a horror fan film. Um, yeah, man, it's tough to talk about. Randy, but you know what we do have in here? What's that? Julia Stiles. Okay. I didn't know she was still working. <laughs> oh, she's working for the weekend, baby. AKA Lumen from Dexter. Oh, Never seen an episode. Not a fan of Lumen. Randy, live your life. <laughs> I never watched Dexter. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah, we just wanted to, to bring, again, you know, movie's not out yet, so we want to tread lightly here, but uh, we recommend it. Check it out when it comes out on Paramount Plus, and uh, stay tuned for Thursday's out. Well, what date is that? that August coming? 19th. 19th. Okay, so our Thursday episode's going to drop on? The 18th. Okay, cool. Damn it. I, I really would like to just like get into it. I don't want to tiptoe around in that. Maybe we'll have to just get into it. When it drops, you got to watch it. Like it's hot. All right. Oh, uh, my turn. It's time to talk about the film that came out. This uh, it came out last week. But worldwide dropped domestically of the much talked about. Bodies, bodies, bodies. BX3. <laughs> Dude, it's weird. If you look on their poster, they actually put hashtag bodies X3. Nobody was using that. Damn. Everybody just put in the full title. I just call it bodies. Um, all right. So we got uh, what the internet on Google is calling a horror comedy uh, with bodies, bodies, bodies. A24. Uh, seems to be presenting a traditional slasher here. Um, we had our uh, former third chair, boots on the ground correspondent, Justin Coote, attend the A24 uh, pre-screening. And he did a little write-up on the Overlook, if you want to go look at that uh, poorly unattended blog. Uh, what, what I thought was interesting there was that Justin, again, I had mentioned this previously, is the only person I have known who did uh, some <laughs> rudimentary Photoshop work and made a sticker that said a 24, the a stands for asshole. <laughs> he came in armed ready to, well, we used to have a uh, bit that we called can't wait to hate. It was his because he loves talking shit. And he came out of this movie defending it. And there was pretty much a reaction to the internet who was berating a 24 for dealing the, for <laughs> wading through the gutter and making a slasher film. Um, I'm pretty sure if you're listening to this and you haven't watched it, you probably won't. I I kind of want to deal a little bit of what this film's actually saying. So there's going to be some light spoilers ahead. If you weren't going to watch it, I don't think it's going to hurt you, though. And uh, you may be interested. So, you know, what? let me jump onto IMDb and get uh, the synopsis from there. So. When a group of rich 20-somethings plan a hurricane party at a remote family mansion, a party game turns deadly in this fresh and funny look at backstabbing, fake friends, and one party gone very, very wrong. 
wow, I wish I didn't read that. That was really stupid. And I think uh, it gave you too much. I went into this movie having firmly planted my feet in the belief that you should not watch trailers, especially if you do a horror podcast and will end up watching all of these anyway. So when somebody told me, oh, you don't know what it's about, it's about a hurricane party, that meant nothing to me. I didn't know if they were going to be drinking slurricanes in a club or <laughs> if uh, they, were, they were on a fucking cruise in the ocean. Yeah. So when it turns out that, uh, you know, the camera, we have a cold open and there are two women furiously making out. I went, oh, okay. <laughs> I didn't realize I was watching They Slash Them right now. But uh, no, Our I... blue is the warmest color. Dude, right? And um, this film, I... I'll just start and let you all know. I really liked it. I think on the scale of five, I'd give it a four. And, but I also want to say, and I'm going to start sliding into spoiler territory here. Um, it's not a slasher in the traditional sense. Or a horror film. I would say it's a horror film in, um, on paper. So what we end up with is uh, kind of like a spring break aesthetic. We have a lot of uh, rich people who don't really care about each other, but for some reason call themselves friends. I actually love these type of movies. I love when people are driven to uh, – I love it when somebody spends all day worrying about what other people think when they don't actually like any of those other people because I just – I'm not in that headspace. And – uh, especially when we got a Pete Davidson in here who everybody loves to hate, which I think is exactly why they casted him for this movie. And they really play it up. It worked. So yep. we have a lesbian couple show up late to a hurricane party. Everybody's in the pool. Everybody's beautiful. And right off the bat, everybody's kind of bored with each other. They're drinking because if you've ever now, I used to wait tables and I hung out with a lot of uh, good looking people who would wait tables and uh, I called them friends and there was one day I hung out with them and we weren't drinking. And I had this epiphany where I sat, I was in this room. I remember I was on a couch. It was ratty. I also noticed that for the first time too. I was like, God, this couch is disgusting. And I looked around the room and I went, I have nothing in common with any of these people. I don't think I've ever told them a real thought. I don't think I've ever had a real moment with any of them. And now that I'm sober, I am dying to get out of here. And uh, imagine doing that for a weekend. <laughs> <laughs> that's what this movie's about except um these people are characters in a film so everything is heightened pete davidson is some everybody's got mysterious money here i do get the feeling that it's all old money and uh, the hurricane comes to town and they're all inside and this was the idea we're trapped inside but together so they somebody throws out hey we should play bodies 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 which is a game akin to werewolf which, if you're one of the few people that know what Werewolf is, uh, you were probably as shocked as I was when they mentioned it in this movie. Now, I was sitting next to a uh, former guest on the show, a uh, very close Overlook family friend, uh, Chuggy. You may remember that he survived a mall shooting. Now, Chuggy had an interesting theory about this movie, that it was all about Among Us, the game. And he was like, well, no. So here's the thing. If you're going to make some radical fucking argument about the uh, the theory behind the film, you got to back it up. So I'm, I'll skip ahead a little bit and I'll mention. He says that everybody's wearing kind of their color blocked, like Pete Davidson's wearing all pink. So that, that's kind of what you do in Among Us. They travel through a doggy door. 
they travel through a ventilation system. People are constantly trying to figure out who the killer is. And I'm like, that's a fair point. The ending didn't work, though. It's definitely a whodunit. Yeah, but yeah. Well, the reason I bring that up before getting into the movie is this is a very modern take. Yes. And if they're mentioning Werewolf, which is a card game where you draw blind and then everybody closes their eyes and you wake up, somebody's dead. And your town folk who basically what you're trying to do is convince everybody in the room that somebody is the werewolf and then you kill them. Then you go to sleep. And if you wake up and nobody died, then congratulations, you were correct. It is a game about mob rules which is this movie in a nutshell. The reason I loved it, though, I I love is strong. The reason why I really liked it, and I'd probably rewatch it, is in the hurricane, they didn't expect something to happen, which is the power to go out. When the power goes out, you know, it seems like it'd be a problem when you're making a movie. How are we going to film everything? Like, this movie didn't seem to be in night vision only. No, of course, they all have their phones and they're all wearing rave attire, including globe necklaces and shit. It actually makes for a really pretty aesthetic in the film. Yeah. And so what happens is the bodies, bodies, bodies game. One of the complaints is that whenever they play it, they start getting at each other's throats and she gets personal. Well, they play a game that exactly happens. They play another game and it turns out somebody's actually dead. And it's Pete Davidson. If you were hinging on this movie, does Pete die? Because I saw that all over the internet. He not only dies, he dies first, and uh, he's bloody. They, it's pretty good. So when he dies, everybody, of course, starts to play a real game of bodies, bodies, bodies. And they start trying to figure out who did this. Um, again, I feel bad about it, but I'm going to spoil this thing. Uh, while we're dealing with this, I was sitting in the seat thinking about it. And I'm like, who could it be? Who's got motivations? Who could it be? All of the characters had interesting, full kind of, um, they felt fully written. Like nobody was really up front. We had another Russian character, if you want to talk about Russophobia, who was like the secret protagonist kind of, but we didn't even know her backstory. So it felt like she could be likely. We also found out that, uh, uh, Pete Davidson was having a uh, bro off with the other male uh, attending the party, who was another stranger, L- played by Lee Pace, who uh, was in one of my favorite television shows of all time, Halt and Catch Fire. Uh, Lee Pace was also in several Marvel movies as a tall blue man, <laughs> <laughs> some sort of wizard or something. Lee Pace is a giant. He's six five. Okay, and it, it works. He's also a very handsome homosexual man. Um. The great thing about his casting was that uh, it was rumored among the group that he was a vet. He had been in like I wanted more of him. Yeah, he was he was really fun. Well, he was good. If you were just going to read physically, like again, this is a modern slasher, right? He would be Michael Myers, or that's Jason. He was he was the only one with like a muscular build. Also, he was a foot taller than everybody else. He also was mysterious. Yeah, and he was uh, a stranger. And he was paired up with the um, most um, corrigible, as far as I'm concerned, of, of the group in Alice, who yep. was the podcaster, the aforementioned yeah. podcaster. Oh, of the God made me cringe again. I think, but I think that I think that uh, Rachel Senna is, you know, going to be more of a star from this film. Oh, dude, she's she picking was, up a lot of. Uh, she was fantastic. I they, loved her. Yeah. Um. Anyway, when we 
so yada 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 we when we rediscover um our uh giant of a boy in the blackout he's laying down with a face mask on that seems to have led lighting behind it and i went holy shit if that's the slasher i'm completely in and then i realized that it was plugged into the wall and i'm like oh well that's gonna be an issue if you stand up and the light goes out well, again, I you know I'm gonna skip to the end and I'm gonna reveal what happens here because I want to talk about the film in a broader way, and because uh, I do think it's intelligent. Um, it's revealed, and I will pat myself on the back here. I saw it coming that there was no killer and that Pete Davidson had done it to himself. Now, in my head, the only issue I had was I couldn't imagine how they were gonna portray that because they he had left the weapon out there, and I'm like you got to follow the weapon and slasher. And I'm like, that's a weird spot. So unless somebody's going to come onto the location and pick it up, which they did have a max character who was a mysterious character who people were like, maybe it wasn't any of us. And it was him. And, uh, no, Pete Davidson, he killed himself on fucking TikTok, which I thought was a bold and beautiful statement. Also, it was pretty funny watching him do it. So, so good. I think a lot of people are going to have issues with that. Because it does kind of feel, I I would go ahead and call that in the um, horror world an April Fool's ending, where it's kind of like, whoops, you know, it's kind of a cop out. Like Wishmaster, at least in Wishmaster and April Fool's, the whole cast came back. That doesn't happen here. People really die. Oh, they die. Oh, they die. And what I think this film's really about is a bunch of um, millennials running around a mansion with the only guidance is their cell phone. And I think there's a beautiful kind of, if not overwritten statement here where the mansion is America. The hurricane is like just anxiety. Oh, God. There's a storm of anxiety outside. And we're all left to our own devices, pardon the pun. But everything illuminated in this movie is from the phone. And, you know, we realize that nobody really knows anybody, but they do know there's a boogeyman. And they're going to try and figure out who it is. And they end up killing each other while trying to discover it. And, you know, when I left the movie, I'm like, wow, I've seen this kind of sentiment pop up a lot in film now. But I really think they nailed it. Like, it was self-aware. They embodied video games, both uh, tabletop and uh, digital. And they really, like... Dude, when the girl accused her friend of not actually liking her podcast, yeah, I felt seen in a bad way. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, how fucking embarrassing is that? Because, you know, as far as the story is concerned, there's this digital content. And I know as everybody in this room, we do a podcast. It, it feels like a way that people can really get to know you. And at the end of the day, that girl felt the most shallow and two-dimensional. But I, oh, th- yeah. I think that was just her. Yeah. Like she was being her, but it's just a lame kind of ditz girl. Yeah. And it's like, where do you go when, when everybody's looking for a boogeyman and you're like, I've laid my soul out. Just, it's not very impressive. How do you, how do you defend that position? (laughs) I don't know. I, you know, when we think of a 24 and elevated genre, I think this is exactly what they make, right? Let's make a slasher film about a boogeyman, but the boogeyman's not actually there. Yeah. And the one fear I think a lot of people had was how much of like buzzword hot topic territory are we going to get? Like how much politics are we going to see? And it's there 
tangentially, they talk about how, oh, they would never own a gun. We know his politics. Yeah, but they played it beautifully. They played it well. Yeah. And there's that one moment where everybody's got their claws out and they start going, dude, you always trigger me. And they start using all the buzzwords. And initially I was worried that was going to be the whole film. And I'm like, I didn't need that. But that one moment where everybody was really at their throats and it turned yep. into a Twitter war. Yeah. I went, dude, you, you did it. Like this film just worked. And whether or not you'll, you're going to buy Pete Davidson killing himself trying to open a bottle. <laughs> that's a little bit of a stretch. But they also had the comedian do it who everybody wanted to see die. It right? fit for his character, too, because he saw Lee Pace do the thing with the sword on the champagne yeah. bottle. And, and he they had the little like macho war. Yeah. No, I, it worked. It was um, it was good. Also, you know, they kind of addressed all of the complaints that horror fans have. Like, why don't you leave immediately? And it's like, oh, the you know, the car won't work. And I don't know, man. It's an airtight script. I just think the content isn't what people are going to want. I don't know. I think people are enjoying it. I think people are going to see it. Did uh, well, How did you feel at the end of the day? Oh, I, no, I, I think you hit all the notes there. I, I feel uh, very similar. Um, I enjoyed what they did. Um, you know, a nice, fresh take. Randy, how yeah. did you love the cinematography? For the most part, yeah. There's some scenes which I think are, like, intentionally kind of shaky. Yeah. Um, I think specifically that scene where you're not supposed to know who did something. Um, but, no, I... The scene where they first lose power and like the only thing illuminating is her uh, her glow bracelets or necklaces or whatever. That scene looked great. Uh, yeah, I really dug the cinematography. It was cool. Well, like it's weird to think in this movie that you would want to take a step back and just think like, wow, I've watched an hour of a movie lit by cell phones. Like, yeah. You know also, the, the weird thing about that early in the movie, there is a shot of flashlights and batteries on a table and they just <laughs> decide to never use them. You know, but that's the type of thing we're dealing with. Like, yeah. honestly, I've I've been lucky. We haven't had any blackouts, really, that we've had to, like, weather. But if there was a table with flashlights and batteries on it, how many people would go grab that over their phone? Yeah. I, yeah. I don't think I would. <laughs> like, uh, like, God damn, that's such a man. I'm glad you caught that, Randy, because yeah. I, I really think this movie's probably littered with those kind of uh, yeah, I, storytelling moments. Yeah, I was looking for more of that because from the, the trailer and stuff, I. I guess uh, ignorantly, I didn't really think that it was like a slasher, but I just took it more as like a murder mystery. So from the get go, I was like looking for things like, oh, that dude has like really good lungs or like, oh, the window wasn't closed all the way. So I was like trying to like get ahead of it. Dude. Um, so yeah. that's why I noticed the flashlights. It's like, okay, like someone prepared, like they know that there's going to be a storm. Yeah. And I then mean, some of that stuff doesn't really matter. Well, Randy, uh, that's like in, after Scream, that's what slashers turned into. Like yeah. it turned into the supernatural shit is out the window. It's one of the people in this room. So mm -hmm. I don't know if you had fun doing that. Um, I would, I'd say watch Scream. I don't know if you could deal with anything else because Scream does have a good meta conversation going on throughout yeah. the films. But yeah, I, I'm, uh, I'm thinking about going seeing this again. Honestly, I, I had a, a great time watching it. Um, I saw a, it was like a 12, 15 showing and there was like maybe four people in the theater. So I kind of want to go back to a, like a later screening where people are like, there's more people there. And like, I don't know, it was a very fun movie. Clark did point out something. 
that he thought it didn't play great. And I do think, uh, I don't know if people were really on the level with the humor here. They weren't. Um, it didn't, it did not play. That's why I wasn't sure how your guys' reaction were, was, um, I was on the same aisle, but, um, I've got to have the end seat and I was on the opposite side of where you guys were. And, um, also, but I was on the same aisle. I just want that to be clear as we were on row E <laughs> and I have, I broke my own personal promise that if there is a seat available of F1, I always occupy that seat. And there was F1 behind me, but I stay on row E. I just want that to be clear. You were like rolling on E too, right? You had I issues? had horrible, <laughs> horrible stomach pains during that. Um, and it was one of those where I, when I knew I had to get locked in on the toilet, I was going to be there for about a half hour. And uh, that's why I went home immediately and was not able to participate in the double feature, uh, which happened because I knew it was just rough ties. But I made it through the movie, but I was not in the best physical state. Yeah, it was. I was a little conflicted because we had planned out to do a uh, film bang bang and we were going to go see bodies, bodies, bodies. And then as that movie ended, I think we were going to be a half hour into the start of fall. Which means the trailers. Exactly. But I, I had to confirm. I'm like, we got to pop in there. And if the movie has started, I don't want to do because it. Because you can't trust the theater to run the shit <laughs> time. Yeah, but I mean, most of the time they do run 40 minutes of fucking trailers. Um, Oksana, before we move on, did you want to add anything to Bodies? What did you think? Um, I honestly think that the main problem people are having with it is that it, A24 released it. Because I thought it was a lot of fun. The end did not bother me. I didn't care that it wasn't like a traditional slasher. And I thought it was funny how they were saying all this ridiculous shit, but playing it completely straight. Like about the po- like, you don't really like my podcast and like all that whole scene. Like, yeah. I thought it was great. I don't know. I, I liked it. And people are just nitpicking. Like, like, I don't. Pete Davidson looks too old to play whatever age he's supposed to be. And like, they just don't like him as a person. And yeah. I, don't I mean, when has that ever stopped? casting like a 30 year old i mean uh what's what's the uh fine uh, young lady who passed away that was in greece oh yeah olivia newton john there we go thank you i believe she was in her late 20s while playing that role so this is not an uncommon thing yeah and but she was orphan. smoking huh Damn. i do think i gotta disagree though i think if anybody else released this other than a24 i wouldn't have come in as a horror fan, I entered this thinking, okay, they're going to try and do some elevated shit. And it kind of gave me a primer for it. Where I think if this just came out from like Lionsgate, I would have been like, wait, what the hell? I mean, I feel like it would have it would have fit in on like Shudder, but then it would probably wouldn't have gone to Ooh, theater. I don't know. Has A24 shared with Shudder? Have we gotten like the Vich on there or anything? I don't. I don't Not that I know of, no. A24 is not very horror friendly. Oh, no. I'm tired of all its A24 talk. <laughs> <laughs> all right. We'll uh, replace it with some unearthed talk. Yeah. Uh, stay tuned. All right. That's so what I'm talking about. Um, when we said goodbye to all our friends, uh, Terrell, Oksana, and I ran upstairs to hopefully catch the beginning of fall. Now, uh, if you have uh, the longest escalator in the history of escalators in the San Francisco Bay. Very long. And having just watched a, a true crime kind of show where an escalator was eating people alive. It would rival the BART length escalator. Yeah, it, yeah, it's really long. Randy, it's very long. Oh, oh, I've been, yeah. 
<laughs> what do you think? Is it longer than Bart? I think. So. Yeah, probably. I mean, maybe there's a further into San Francisco longer escalator, but from the ones I'm used to seeing, that one was longer for sure. Try right, guys. We're always glad for you to tune into the Overlook Hour for our local <laughs> references. Dude, Russell, back to you. Back to escalated horror. Um, so, oh, you mama know, mia. it's very appropriate that we rode the biggest escalator in Daly City to get to a movie called Fall. Hell yeah. Best friends Becky and Hunter find themselves at the top of a 2,000 foot radio tower. Oh my God, Becky, look at this tower. Now, that is more <laughs> than I knew going into this movie. I just knew Terrell was incredibly excited. And I was like, whatever, dude, I'll watch anything. Like, if it's horror adjacent, I'm in. I was correct. This is a diodrama. We have a small cast trapped in an area. And mostly I get excited for the writer here because it's their game. Keep me entertained. Uh, this movie came in at an hour 47 minutes and is PG-13. These are both warning signs to an adult horror fan. <laughs> Yet nothing could have warned me for what I was about to experience, which was sheer terror. And I'm not joking. I covered my eyes twice during this movie. Here's a little insight. I do not like heights. You know, it gives, me, you know, it gives me anxiety getting on an airplane. I um, see. I, I'm terrified of heights. Airplanes. It's 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 not even I don't even register. You're, as, you're a pretender. I am no, scared of heights. no. You have no idea how deep, <laughs> deep my fear of heights is. But with with planes, it's very different. It's it's. I feel like my my fear of heights always has a open air nature to it. To where, like, even even I'm, I'm more comfortable in a roller coaster. Now the chain link, the the chain you know lift, that's a little rough. I hated skiing because I hate the chair lift. I, chairless will never not sketch me out. Oh, I've never I hate, been on one. I hate them. And I, I really don't like being in tall buildings. Um, I can't like, I can't watch stuff because it makes me all well, dizzy. I'm glad you brought up the chairlift. Because I'm really cool and alpha. That's what I'm saying. Again, I don't know how scared of heights you are. If the only time in your life, the highest you will be is in a plane. You're not terrified. It's I different. can't deal with it. But when you're talking about a chairlift, the one film, the one cinematic reference I thought I knew when coming into this was uh, Frozen. I'm like, okay, well, Frozen's a similar idea. Adam Green's Frozen. Yeah. Oh, thank you. You know, I never make that that distinguish. Uh, I know. I don't distinguish the difference between And you, sh you shouldn't have to. I <laughs> when I'm talking about Frozen, I'm talking about fucking Adam Green, okay? I understand. I don't know who the fuck Elsa is unless we're talking about a Serbian film. Um, that does make Word. sense. I'm not going to elaborate anyway. <laughs> anyway, um, I was like, okay, we're doing a frozen thing, but we'll be on a tower. Well, first, let me give you a little insight on the tower. Uh, I, what the fuck was it called? It's like the it's a radio tower, B62 TV tower or something. Um, if you're wondering if there is really a very thin looking, very, uh, metallic looking tower that is supposed to be twice the height of the Eiffel tower. Uh, yeah, it's real. And if you're wondering, did they shoot anything on that actual tower? Um, no, they didn't, but this film did use a real tower. They actually got the crew that built that TV tower to build another TV tower. Although this one was a little bit shorter and it was located on top of shadow mountain. <laughs> so if I'm not going to get too in the weeds here, but they did find a mountain 
and built a tower on top of it and really went up to the correct elevation to shoot this film. When you watch this film, it's kind of similar to Orphan, where you're like, how do they do this? Because it doesn't look that CG. And you're like, it's got to be a green screen, right? I remember at one point I turned and I was like, we're on a studio lot. We have to be. Because I don't... The, the beauty here is the craft, all of the B-roll, all of the um, music. It's all, it's all teaming up in one perfect collaborative effort to try and terrify you. They're painting a 4D mise-en-scene of a film. And if you watch these girls ascend this tower and are not fucking anxious and tense the whole time, then you are uh, – check your pulse because you're dead. This movie, dude, I'm, I emoted more times in this movie than I did all of last decade. (laughs) I couldn't help it. It was fucking me up. And here's the thing. There's a language in this film. It's got the attitude of final destination, which is why I'm so happy you watched it, Randy, because (laughs) just the craft, like, do, do you think I'm off there? Did that, it, did it ring true to you at all? Uh, no, but yeah, I, I kind of get that. I think I saw that you mentioned that before I saw it. So oh. I was kind of going into that with it. See, I, I feel like that's a loaded um, comparison to make because Final Destination has that Rube Goldberg thing, which is such yeah. its own monster. But in this film, it's got the attitude of that shit. So when you're in Final Destination and you see like a bowling ball start to roll in a closet, it's like, oh, that's all, that's a fucking sinister bowling ball. Well, in this movie, when they're climbing up the tower, you get to see shaking. And again, the, the sound of the wind and the rattling of metal that feels like this, this fucking erector set of a tower is going to collapse at any moment. It's got that final destination attitude. And these girls, the casual nature, one of them is, oh man, I have to, I have to mention that Terrell screamed multiple times, but the one noteworthy reaction that he had that I've never seen in my life was, uh, something happened. There's a million things that happened in this movie. He didn't scream. Instead, he threw himself back in his chair and did this. He just clapped really quickly three (laughs) times. And then he turned to me and made eye contact and just, he had helped me written on his soul. And I know I'm pumping this up again. We saw it in XD. We were sitting right next to the fucking 4D or the D-Box chairs. Which we will probably be going back and seeing this in if, D-Box. If this movie yes. isn't already out of the theater, I might. My God. And again, now with bodies, I wanted to talk about, you know, the art is also telling a different kind of story. And there were a lot of similarities here. We uh, In both films, we had characters who refused to say, I love you. That's a fun little thing. Whenever we do uh, double features, there's always similarities. But we also had a couple of characters, often, which is often true in diodramas, who uh, they didn't. They thought they knew each other, and they didn't really. Mm. And when they're trapped on the tower, they're exploring their relationship. And I just have to point out that not only is this film completely self-aware in all the right ways in the final final destination, we have a fucking pet cemetery truck that pops up three times and scares the shit out of you. But this movie is also. Uh, it's doing a little wink and the, the placement of the satellites on top of this TV tower, Randy, just let me know if it had crossed your mind that there were two girls on top of it, arguing about a boy trapped on what might be the world's biggest phallus. <laughs> I didn't think of that actually. No, but yeah, that's there. <laughs> and I, now 
I've been in uh, I've been in film theory 101 and I've heard very angry women talk about how skies uh, cityscapes are just a attempt at the patriarchy to reaffirm their dominance over America. Hell yeah. And I think they're completely right. <laughs> and and uh, this is why the two towers needed to go down in New York. Again, more just a patriarchy and building seven. But this one, there's satellites. And if you've seen the trailer, they're in it. They're placed in such a way that it is unmistakably a penis drawn on like a Nintendo DS. And these girls are on top of it arguing about a dude. This movie is completely fully formed. It is thrilling. It is terrifying. Um, Watch it loud. Don't watch it at home. Whatever you do. And also, just know, this isn't fucking Siskel and Ebert's movie. There are moments in this film that are just dumb. There's one time where they're trying to shoo a vulture and they run at it going, get away, get away. And it, I laughed out loud at the film. The, the thing is, the Was ability- it a CG vulture? No. And the vulture uh, is a very dominant character. Yeah. And, and the vulture also uh, was- Vultures are enormous. They're terrifying. Yeah. And this one contributed to what might be my favorite film in all of cinema. Or my favorite quote. Okay. Uh, while trapped on top, one of them uh, took an injury to the leg, and it appeared to be going south. Oh, no. And her friend tells her, I think the vultures can smell your leg. It's <laughs> <laughs> very good. Which paints a picture of a uh, woman with a rotting stench coming from her nether regions. How and, long were they up there? A uh, month? You're going to have to tune in. Also, um... To bring this back to more highbrow, I mean, we were just talking about A24, uh, also made me think of A Knife in the Water, Polanski's first film. Of course it did. And A Knife in the Water, the knife would indicate who was in charge. Well, in this movie, they have their own knife, except it's cleavage. So if you go, <laughs> if you go into this film, pay attention to the cleavage and uh, see who wields it, and you will know who is in charge. Oh, that's, also, oh boy. That is not a joke, by the way. I mean that 100. I was so into that that I told Oksana during the movie. And I'm like, tell me I'm wrong after. Randy, Oksana? did you tune into that? Well, the character herself actually comments on it. So it's not like Russell's just, uh, you know, commenting on something that's not there. Well, there's a swap, too. Like the first. Yeah, it's I love fine. a swap. Oh, they, there's a cleavage swap. Actually, there's a push up bra that's very uh, important to the plot. Hey, do what you got to do. <laughs> um, I think the theory checks out. See, there it is. Uh, did I cover everything I wanted to? I support any titty-based theory. Also, there may be the um, the appearance of a new trope, which Oksana pointed out, where when two people are in peril, again, call back to the shallows, which we talked about earlier, uh, people who are there and can help end up just robbing you. <laughs> this happened in this movie. Uh, the shallows. Spoiler, the shallows. And we just watched the film with my mom. What was it? Trapped eight below where two girls are trapped in a pool trapped in the closet trapped in the closet they're not there to help no nope. they're gonna rob you yep. <laughs> so again um is this a bit not really i was legitimately terrified we left terrell texted us the next day said he had a nightmare about this movie <laughs> and was it based on you know the elevated writing does this hark back to the fucking greek pantheon of gods no nobody's in spandex and honestly, the script isn't even really that good. There's a lot of Chekhov's weird shit going on. Yes, but yeah, a lot of it. But you know what? Um, this is this is kind of akin to Fall Guys. You show up for a weird labyrinth, and you're there for the ride. And uh, 
just, you know, I mean, how ironic I use fall guys because the vertigo was real. I was legitimately terrified. Don't watch this at home. Uh, also, if, if I sell you on the movie, forget everything I said and just roll in there with a the low bar. Just be like, he's a fucking idiot. He likes everything. Um, as Clark and Randy always point out, my rating system is completely off the charts. Indeed. It's skewed. So um, tune in and enjoy the uh, <laughs> the return of Jennifer Love Hewitt as your protagonist, <laughs> as this girl fully embodies that character. Oh, God. All right, I'm done. You sold me, baby. I'm not joking. She's got like the case do kind of mouth up. Actually, I made a very funny comment during the film. That both of our characters could have... Wait, no, that's the wrong movie. <laughs> what was the movie? Damn it, it was so good, too. In the movie where the two girls are trapped in a pool, they both look like stunt doubles for case too. Don't ever do cocaine. That movie is 12 feet deep. 12 feet deep. How much caffeine you on today, brother? I had one mug of coffee that I cut with a LaCroix. Yes. <laughs> Stay September 27th or whatever that is. 17th. Yeah, I've set that one up for next month. Uh, <laughs> before we cut loose, Randy, what uh, what do you think of this one? Do you have fun? For the most part, yeah. I, I dug everything from them driving to the tower and getting on top of the tower, but everything beforehand was trash. <laughs> hey, fair. That's why I didn't really mention any of it. It was like a lifetime movie. Of course, she has a dead husband, and of course, she has a bad relationship with her father. Um, yeah, it's just like lazy character development. But I was pretty uh thrilled with most of the stuff that took place on the actual tower. I uh I was definitely sweating and uh I was leaned back on the chair at the uh, AMC, the recliner chairs. And at one point I felt like I needed to put my feet on the ground. <laughs> Hell yeah. So very like all the filmmaking there is pretty cool. And once they're like on the tower, like I didn't hate the dialogue there. It was just the stuff in the beginning that like, yeah, really kind of irked me. But um, yeah, definitely. If you're going to see it, go see it in a theater because uh, yeah, that'll give you um, vertigo for sure. <laughs> all right. Vertigo. Then uh, that is Ra Randy Sat's highest rating he's ever given five stars <laughs> for fall. Uh, all right. Anything else? Any other bookkeepings? Uh, we've already queued up for Thursday, so stay tuned for Thursday's incredible interview, which has not yet happened. Uh, we'll be talking in a couple days. You have the winner of the last poll I put up. Oh my goodness! Correct. Okay. Cool. Which is the wait? What were the movies? I know we didn't talk about it yeah, on give here. Give us a refresher here. And I know me and Clark in the Dark is uh, our other podcast. Clark in the Dark. <laughs> <laughs> yeah now did any of you guys vote or like look at the social media i voted okay. yeah i did too oh okay i participate what um what the hell were the films so one of them is an unsearchable titled camping trip oh original if i can even pull it up uh the other one oh here we go camping trip she found it. <laughs> Yay. It's like a camp. I think it might have been a COVID movie. It's two hours long. In oh, summer, God. In the summer of 2022, couples decide to go on a COVID era camping trip after months of being in lockdown. That was the first one. I voted for that one. I oh, did, you did? I didn't know it was all that. Okay, one on one. <laughs> I just went by title alone. The second one is The Harbin Harbinger. 
which is not to be confused with Andy Mittens, the Harbinger. But this one does star Madeline McGraw, the little girl from Psycho Gorman. Oh. <laughs> oh, please tell me that one won. That is the winner. Okay, good. All right. When a family moves their troubled daughter to a small town and their neighbors start mysteriously dying, they fear something evil has followed them. How fucked up is it? That films are such a collaborative effort that, you know, oftentimes there may be a hundred people participating. And Camping Trip, was that the name of it? The the mm-hmm. horrendous title I've already forgotten. I, uh, nothing. And then you just mentioned there's a craw in your graw, and uh, I'm completely <laughs> in on this one now. Psycho Gorman. I guess that's the uh, power of the stars. And the hunky boys. And the hunky boys. Speaking, I mean- of, speaking of hunky boys. Uh, uh, Alexander, you got what now? No. You're throwing a wrench in the ending. The end. <laughs> Wait, didn't you have a female bag too? Oh yeah. Okay. Uh, didn't I have stinger music for it? No, I'm not ready for it. What? Oh my god. Okay, we'll see fine. you next week. We'll, <laughs> we may be ready by then. I don't know. <laughs> All right. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Overlook Hour. And if you would like to hear more, please subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts. Spotify, or whatever your podcatcher of choice is. And while you're there, go ahead and give us a rating and or a review, which is a very easy way for you to support this show uh, that we bring to you every week for years now, free of charge. And as always, you can find us on YouTube at The Overlook Theater, Instagram at The Overlook Theater, Facebook at The Overlook Hour, and Twitter at The Overlook Hour. Last but not least, you can send us your emails and tell us how much you like or dislike the show at overlookhour at gmail.com. And if you're nice, maybe we'll uh, read them on the show. I've been your engineer, Randy Statt. Please join me along with Clark, Russell, and Oksana again next time. Bye. <laughs>